In the holy name of Jesus, amen. St. Mary Magdalene has been called the Apostle to the Apostles, or the Sent One to the Sent Ones. That's because, as you heard from the Gospel according to St. John, the 20th chapter, our Gospel for Easter Sunday, that she was the first eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus himself sent her to the apostles, later apostles, the disciples, to witness to that fact. On the point that Mary Magdalene was the first witness, all the evangelists agree. Christ is risen from the dead. Alleluia. And he showed himself as risen from the dead, first to Mary Magdalene, calling her by name. We also know from the evangelists Luke and Mark that she is the one of whom Jesus casts out seven demons. Of course, as it is with the saints, there is much else that we have added to Mary Magdalene as speculative or pious conjecture. It was Gregory the Great in 591 in a sermon that proposed that she was a prostitute because, as he said, the seven demons referred to the seven vices, and the idea stuck. But we're not given to idle speculation about the saints of old, but rather to see and to hear from them how Jesus Christ is crucified. Crucified is confessed by them for our benefit. So, in the case of Mary, in addition to being the witness of the resurrection, how despite her lack of authority and mandate, she was given to bear witness to the resurrection. But we also have another reading, and perhaps this reading is maybe a little speculative, but it has been widely held, including by Lutherans, until the last 50 or so years, to be also about Mary Magdalene. This was the historic gospel for this day, again until very recently. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and the other only 50. When they both could not pay, he canceled both their debt. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, 
the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. But then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and the rest. So we hear from this text of Mary Magdalene, I would propose, maybe not as strongly thought of as a prostitute, but certainly as a sinner. This woman, a sinner, well, she is given to us today to to show us how Jesus handles those who know their sin who feel their despair and despondency over how they have failed to have faith toward God and loved toward their neighbor. She comes to him, this sinner, with tears and repentance. She knows and believes that in Jesus she has a friend of sinners in whom there is forgiveness. She comes to him, perhaps in desperation, having nothing of her own, but needing to receive from him everything. His forgiveness, his life, his salvation, his peace, his love. But she comes to him in the house of Simon, the Pharisee. He too is given to us to learn. A fine and upstanding man who has invited Jesus to an elegant and fine dinner. He expects to have lofty and high conversation about all things political, theological, or even practical. And perhaps after dinner, they can have an aperitif and pray together with all piety and reverence. Now, it's not that Simon thinks of himself as less than a sinner or more than sinner. Rather, that he has been working quite hard at his sin to overcome it, and he's doing much better now, certainly much better than her. Thank you very much. Again, Simon, too, is given to us to learn, to see how Jesus handles those who are unaware of their sin, their deep depravity, and thus their need for a Savior those who think of themselves as righteous and good, 
but apart from him, apart from Jesus. Two very different people with two very different ideas of who Jesus is and what he has come to do for them. One, on the one hand, Simon the Pharisee thinks that Jesus has come to praise him, to affirm him in his good works, his pious behavior, his keeping of the law. Perhaps he's kept it better than anyone. But for Simon, who seeks to live by the law, Jesus deals with him according to that law. Do you see this woman, he says? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed me with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which indeed are many, are forgiven, for she loved me much. But to whom you, Simon, Pharisee, little, is forgiven, the same loves little. Simon fails to see his great and abundant need for a savior, for forgiveness. On the other hand, Mary Magdalene, well, her sins, she knows them quite well. But apparently also, the whole town does too. Her neighbors, Simon knew. She comes to Jesus wanting only his loving kindness, forgiveness. She has little to offer, only her tears of sorrow, that ointment, her service, really her worship as she kneels before him. Hoping to receive nothing but his forgiveness, and with it comes his love and peace and life. We see in Mary Magdalene how you might approach Jesus, not by way of law like Simon, but rather by way of the gospel. The law already having done its work of crucifying in Mary all hope of saving herself. She comes desperately needing a savior, and he forgives her by his gospel good news. You see how Jesus deals with Simon differently than Mary. Simon, who thinks he needs no forgiveness, receives a word of stern rebuke. Mary Magdalene, on the other hand, who knows her sin quite well, needs not rebuke, but rather forgiveness. But this is actually where things get challenging. If we're honest, we are just like Simon the Pharisee, and at other times, just like Mary Magdalene. If you're honest, you don't like the way that Jesus deals with either of them. He is a rock of stumbling and offense, after all. And that's because this is the same way he continues to deal with us here by his word in the church. His office and work, thereby the office and work of his apostles and his church, is again to rebuke the sinner does not know his sin, and to forgive the sin of those who know it and are repentant. Good so far, but not so quick. We don't like it 
when the pastor fails to rebuke the open sinner, the one whose sin is quite obvious, like Mary Magdalene, that woman who needs a word of comfort and of hope and peace in Jesus' forgiveness, well, sometimes the pastor is asked to preach more law, to rebuke the world, to rebuke those who can't get their act together. And so it is also true that there are times when the pastor is also told to preach less good news, gospel, that is Good Friday Jesus, crucified for your sins and raised for your justification. Yes, yes, we've heard that all before, but now we need more law. All this gospel forgiveness, it's going to get in the way of our self-improvement project and our congregational improvement projects. And worse yet, if we keep telling the sinners, like Mary Magdalene, that they are forgiven, what might happen? They might continue in their sin, thinking they have license, prohibiting good works by forgiving all the time, need more law, telling people how to live. So it goes. But really, imagine what kind of church Jesus actually has in mind for us. A church where righteous, self-righteous, churchy kind of people come in thinking of themselves as having their act together and really deserving our Lord's grace and mercy, and rather being rebuked by God's word, humbled. And then unrighteous sinners open rebellion to God, come forth, but in repentance, knowing their sin, feeling that upon their conscience, being absolved and exalted. Let's be honest. We want to get away with our sin, and we want all those other sinners to be the ones rebuked. But that's not the picture that Jesus gives today. He gives rather an uncomfortable one where all the good Christian boys and girls, all the ones who know the law quite well, who have kept the commandments from their youth, are brought to their knees, are brought by Jesus through his holy law to confess their unworthiness, and then are lifted up by his word of forgiveness. It also means that all the scum and villainy of this world who would dare to approach Jesus on bended knees with tears, with what little they have to offer. Those who know their sin quite well and are here to be forgiven by Jesus, there's no word of rebuke and stern admonition against them. Rather, they are immediately lifted up, that is, forgiven, restored, and welcomed into Christ's church. Makes us uncomfortable. We think the ones who are already good need to be told that they're good. And that those who are obviously open, openly evil and rebellious to God's word need to be rebuked and chastised. But that's not what we do. We preach both words, both rebuking sin, all sin, your sin, my sin, forgiving sin, your sin and mine. Preaching Christ crucified for each and every one of us, regardless of whether we came today like Simon the Pharisee, or Mary Magdalene. 
That's because every one of us is 100% sinner in need of a Savior. But of course, every one of us is someone for whom Christ has died. He who shed his blood to forgive your sin and my sin, every sin, sin of the whole world, John tells us, to make each and every one of us 100% forgiven, saint of God. It's true, if we fail to rebuke sin, then things would quickly go to hell. Maybe in this life, but certainly by opening the gates of hell and closing heaven to those who think of themselves righteous already, apart from Jesus. So it is also true that if we only preach the rebuking of sin and fail to preach the forgiveness of sins, things will also truly go to hell. Well, in this case, opening the gates of hell and closing heaven to every one of us who is dead in trespasses and sin, in need of forgiveness and life from Christ. You see, again, both, both must be proclaimed. Reproof of sin and pardon for sin. Together, you might say law and gospel. Because apart from knowing and feeling the sin of our hearts, we would not know or need or desire to receive the good news of Christ's forgiveness. It would lose its sweetness and comfort. But also, simply rebuking sin, knowing and feeling sin, apart from a word of absolution, forgiveness, spoken, that would only leave you in despair and hopelessness. Both must be proclaimed with proper distinction and properly applied. Maybe by way of example, here's a little maxim that might help you understand how this goes how to preach the law and the gospel properly. We are given to preach terror to those who are comfortable in themselves, but to preach comfort to those who are terrified. Again, we are given to preach terror to the comfortable and comfort to the terrified. That's precisely what we see Jesus doing in the gospel according to St. Luke. He's preaching to Simon the Pharisee, who is quite comfortable in and of himself, his obedient law-keeping. For him, he needs to be terrified with the full severity of the law preached to him. Look at how you failed to love me at all. No washing of my feet, not even water, not even a basin. No anointing of my head, no kiss. But for Mary Magdalene, who is quite terrified of her sin, he's not going to rebuke her any further. Or she might come to believe that he is there only to condemn sinners, to damn them, to hell. She must receive the full comfort of her sin's forgiveness. Her conscience is already well informed as to her sin. And she needs from him a clean conscience, the gift of a new and clean heart that can come only in his forgiveness of her, his word absolving her. You see, we can set aside all of our fears of how this might go for the church. This is precisely how our Lord has ordered his church to preach, 
as he gives us by way of example today with Simon and Mary Magdalene. We don't really need to worry how this might work out. Jesus will work through his word to accomplish what he sends it to do. Notice how Jesus' forgiveness of Mary strengthens her faith in him. Notice how he says that by her sins being forgiven, she has loved much. She knows who is the source of love. God is love. God in Christ, crucified, is love. But see also what happens when we neglect God's holy word of forgiveness. When we fail to forgive the sinners, we become like Simon the Pharisee, who loves Christ little because he thinks he needs little forgiveness. So we are given as a church to continually rebuke sin and to forgive sin, but to do it with proper distinction and properly applied, comforting the terrified with the word of forgiveness, but terrifying the comfortable with that harsh word of law. All again in order that everyone would know their need for their sin and thus their need for Christ and his forgiveness. All with the purpose that God's will would be done. That many would come to learn of their sin and to receive Jesus as friend of sinners, like Mary Magdalene did. Forgiving. Forgiving the sins to the third and fourth generations of those who love him. And that we would too be forgiven each time we gather. And then be given to rejoice in this Good Friday gift of Jesus. May God grant it among us in his holy name. Amen.